Well, hey, what's going on, Will family? Uh, I hope that your souls are encouraged and doing well. Uh, I also hope that you're praying against this COVID mess because I'm ready to be done with this. Yeah. Let, let the church say amen. 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 Uh, hey, I'm excited to step in to uh, jump into this ser- series uh, called Justice and Mercy. Uh, as in heaven is kind of the tagline underneath it. And to preface it, the subtitle is actually what we're going for throughout the series at large. Christ told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as believers, we actually have to realize that we are actually a part of the answer to Christ's prayer. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about the amazement in a sense that we get to actively play in with the hand of God to bring the kingdom on earth as it would be in heaven. That as we push back darkness and as we model and as we reflect the kingdom and as we share our faith and bring people into the kingdom and as we act justly and as we do mercy, then we are showcasing, we are modeling, we are literally bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth and beginning to display what the kingdom would look like if it were here on earth with us, because it is here on earth with us, it is amongst us. And so we're showing the world these glimpses and these foreshadows and these tiny tastes of what heaven will be like inviting them in to participate, encouraging them to come into the family as we begin to display the kingdom. And so throughout this series, that's what we're going to kind of be looking at is what does it look like to be a church, to showcase and model what scripture would command us as believers, particularly on kind of touchy topics in our culture right now, okay? These are kind of hot topics, if you will. And so someone say, we're going to be getting emails throughout this series. <laughs> hey, if you want to email me at any point during the series, my email is kc at the well <laughs> okay? Uh, they will go directly to me and I will not get overwhelmed. No matter how many of you say that, Hey, I want to kick us off today, all right? And we'll be looking at a biblical case for justice and mercy, all right? This will be the overarching theme of the series at large. And really, why should we care about this? Why should we push it? Why should we fight for it? Why should we be serious about it as Christians? It'll set the backdrop for all of the individual topics that we're going to talk about during this series, and even ones that we're not going to touch on in this particular series, but that we should care about as believers as well. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to be all over the place in the scripture today, hot potato in this mug, all right? So uh, feel free to get those uh, flipping fingers going if you want that. That actually sounds terrible. You don't, don't, don't flip no fingers. Right? Flip your pages on your Bible. Right? Yeah, amen. Uh, uh, and we want to do that sincerely because uh, as we give a biblical overview, we want to give a biblical yes. overview, mm-hmm. not just isolate one verse to fit your agenda, mm-hmm. yeah. our agenda. Okay. And so uh, I want to address firstly why we are kind of confused and divided about justice as a nation and even as Christians in our own society. It should be really clear that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Yep. But the politicalization of every issue and the theological training of the generation before us has left us confused and at odds with how we should be responding to things as believers. For example, our theology, since most of us have actually grown up with a very individualistic understanding of Christianity, the predominant thought has been me and Jesus. And so just 
justice then bends only vertically, only has to do with our vertical relationship with God and our justification before him. Very few Christians have understood how the gospel actually bends horizontally out towards others. And so this has actually warped our mind and reshaped our view around things that we should care about as believers, but that we don't even think about because it doesn't really involve our relationship with God. It revolves our relationship with brothers, even that word justice, just to set precedence for this whole series, when we hear that word justice, for whatever reason, we substitute it with the word judgment. We are not talking about being judged. We are talking about making things right. That is what it means to be justified before God, to be made right. And so justice makes things right. And the same is true with this idea of mercy. We only think about our vertical relationship with God and how he has extended mercy towards us, not realizing that mercy is also meant to be extended out towards others. So yes, Donald Trump needs mercy. Amen. Okay. Like, and your heart was just as bad and as wicked as his was. And yet God chose to save you anyway. Yeah. Mm. Quiet already. Okay. He didn't then just suggest that we would be merciful. He commanded that we would be merciful to those around us. And Joe Biden, too, and Kamala, and, and Abbott, and Adler, or the Black Lives Matter movement, or the LGBTQ movement, or Republicans, or your grandma that be acting ignorant on your Facebook comments. Every single one of those people needs and deserves the mercy of God, whether you agree with them 99% or 2%, we are a people that extend mercy because mercy has been given to us. And justice and mercy does not just have to do with our relationship with God, it has to do with how we begin to interact with one another. Oh, I felt the email come in already. Okay, so look, part of the reason that we are, are able to rightly see justice or mercy is because we have such an individualistic view of Scripture, y'all. And I want to break that at the start here. We've been trained to only really see one bar of the cross. And so the cross is not just this vertical beam that personally connects us to God. It is also the horizontal beam that connects us to one another. We love God and neighbor as ourselves. And when we focus on the individualistic beam or the vertical beam, you may have the heart of God, but you miss the hands of God, y'all. Come on now, it's a witness of today. And what happens, y'all, right, is that we are left with a truncated or an abbreviated or an abridged version of the gospel and of your God where you have no idea how to actually love your neighbor because you're missing the hands of Christ. You read every passage as a you in Jesus passage instead of a you, Jesus, in the world around you passage. We read me instead of we into the scripture all of the time. And so then when the world begins to try to divide divide us on certain issues, we don't know how to stand on the solid rock because we have never thought about how to engage with the brother or the sister in Christ and outside of Christ because we've so focused on our relationship with God only. We have missed loving our neighbor as ourselves. We need not just the vertical understanding of justice and mercy, but the horizontal understanding of justice and mercy as well because scripture calls for it, y'all, and it calls for it over and over and over again. Listen, 
you have been discipled into a partial gospel where you only see you and Jesus, meaning you only have a partial Christ, meaning that you are not seeing Jesus the way that scriptures desire that you would see him and you are not living in the way that Jesus would command of it, meaning you are missing the fullness of God and all that he would have for you. We need to see the full picture of the gospel, how it makes us right with God and how we then make things right around us. That is what the scriptures are laying out. We do justice and we act mercifully. We love justice and we love mercy and we love pouring it out on everyone around us because of how we have received it ourselves, okay? And so I wanna do a biblical overview and show you how our God is a God of justice and mercy, understanding God's heart and that we are made then in his image, meaning we should be reflecting him and acting like him, should make us care about all the topics we're gonna talk about in the next seven weeks, and once again, the ones that we won't talk about as well, okay? And so I wanna start where it all began, all right? Once upon a time, there was peace, okay? And it was beautiful and good, and then Adam and Eve jacked everything up, And so they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, don't miss that. It's a really important phrase there. In doing this, what they were showing is that they were not going to trust God, but they themselves were going to dictate what was good or wrong in their lives. They would be their own gods, and don't miss this. They began to try to define, or rather redefine, what was good and what was evil. And we've been defining what is right and what is wrong, what is just and what is unjust, ever since apart from God and his law. We've been acting just like Adam and Eve ever since. And so we see injustice at the very beginning. And in Genesis 3, it actually happens personally with Adam and Eve at first. You see, Adam tries to self-persevere against God, and he begins to blame God for his own sin. He's good, God's evil, is what Adam says, good and evil, redefining because of the rebellion against God. Now, he's defining what is good and evil, and then it goes into families. As Adam tries to overrule Eve, and as Cain murks Abel, or Cain kills Abel, okay? And then it extends into community through Cain's lineage, and then into whole civilizations, which is the story of most of the Old Testament. And often what we see is this saddened posture of God when he looks upon humanity and sees humanity be so self-seeking rather than God-seeking and others-seeking. You see, our God is a God who naturally gives of himself to others, and he calls us to image bear him. And yet, because we begin to define what is good and evil, we begin to self-persevere, just like Adam did, and protect ourselves. And we are willing to do that even at the expense of others. And whole civilizations turn into ruin when that begins to happen. And so humanity continually acts with injustice, which is ultimately just advantaging yourself at the disadvantage of someone else, whether it's personally or through systems of oppression, it's you receiving good at the expense of others. But God was not willing to leave the world in this way. And so God chose a man named Abraham who would bring in a new family, a model in a sense. He would begin to show what the kingdom of God would look like in at least small fractions and small glimpses of this. And so in Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 19, it says this, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, listen, by doing righteousness and justice, 
so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. The promise of Abraham requires that Abraham does justice and righteousness. This is the first mention of justice in the scripture. And righteousness, once again, just to set us right, it is not vertical righteousness between you and God. That's not what's happening here. The Hebrew word actually refers to our right living with others. It's treating others as image bearers, people that God loves, and caring for them the way that God would care for them. In other words, justice and mercy. And what we see in the life of Abraham is him actually beginning to live this out. The very next story, like in the same breath as this calling that God has on his life, we actually see Abraham begin to plead over Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah was two cities that were advantaging themselves at the disadvantage of others around them. They were redefining what good and evil was. And so God was going to bring judgment so that justice would occur. Don't blur those two words here. And so in God's judgment, he was going to enact justice. And yet Abraham is somebody who wants to extend righteousness or mercy to others. And so you see Abraham beginning to plead over Sodom and Gomorrah, asking God to be merciful. And God says, I will be merciful. And Abraham says, what if there's 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10? And then for whatever reason, he stops. But if he would have kept going and said, God, would you save a whole city on behalf of one righteous one? God would have said yes, because he ultimately did it through his son, Jesus. God saves humanity through one righteous one in Christ. But Abraham is pleading and he's being merciful. Then you fast forward in his life and you look at moments like him at Beersheba, for example, where somebody is trying to give him these wells, yet Abraham wants to buy it from them because he realizes it's unjust to take this. He wants to make sure that equality is happening. And so he's being a person of justice. And you can go all throughout the story of Abraham and you see how he begins to live this out. And Paul said that we are children of Abraham if we believe in the promised Messiah, which means that we are a part of Abraham's family that is supposed to be walking in this promise of God to do justice and to act mercifully and extend that towards others. And so vertical belief actually brings us into Abraham family as his children, and then we push that out horizontally as we act with compassion and give equality to others around us. And the stories are flooded in the Old Testament, y'all. They're all throughout the Old Testament. We see stories like Ruth and Boaz, who was an actor of mercy. He didn't look at their situation and say, well, Naomi disobeyed God, so she deserves to be in this poverty in the first place, the way a lot of us would have said that. He actually enacts with mercy, or David with Saul extending mercy, yet still bringing justice, or Job and his friends, or the prophets, right? And so some of y'all, you love uh, justice, and you're like, yeah, 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 mercy. Talk about justice, okay? No, love mercy, the scriptures say. Not just vertical, but horizontal mercy. You know the thing that don't none of y'all be showing on social media? That thing. Love mercy, it says, right? Well, come on now. Okay? And yet, 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 some of us be camping out on mercy and not realizing that the Bible is loaded with justice. The whole Old Testament is about justice. Not just between you and God, but you bringing justice towards others. Restorative justice is talked about 
all throughout the Old Testament. Reparative, yes, reparation is the word. Reparative justice, retributive justice, intervening justice, equality is flooded throughout the Old Testament. And see, what happens is we be skipping books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and so we don't see it. Yeah. And we don't yeah, see yeah. how much our God cares about this, yeah. or we read individualistically rather than seeing how Christendom and following God actually impacts societies around us, so then we don't see it. We've divorced the Old Testament from the New Testament, meaning we do not see a full picture of God, for this whole thing points to the goodness and the beauty of God. The Bible is not some a la carte member or a menu where you pick and choose what you like where you like this idea of justice or this idea of mercy, but not that idea here. No, the whole thing shows the beauty and mercy and holiness of our God. There's a delicate balance that God calls us to walk down. And because we've divorced them, we have an abdicated or a weakened, really a puny version of God and of Christ and of how Christians are supposed to respond. We are grace and truth. We are justice and mercy. We are law and forgiveness. We are holiness and sacrifice. We are vertical and horizontal. Justice and mercy are at the very heart of God, family of God, and it's flooded throughout the scriptures. For our God is a fair God. Our God shows no partiality. He says about himself over and over. He is just, that means. He brings equality no matter what your situation is. Our God is a God who wants the flourishing of all people, not the prosperity of some due to the oppression or suffering of of others. This is clear in the scriptures, y'all, which tears down the American version of God, by the way. Your God was not formed in the U.S., y'all. He was the eternally existent one that is uh, here long before, and he would uh, be uh, dreadful. He hates some of the injustices of the U.S. that we're talking about throughout the rest of this series. Our God wants the United States of the kingdom, not the United States of America to thrive, right? That was kind of cheesy. Don't be tweeting. That just kind of came to me. Don't go off your notes. All right? Okay. Look, God wants the kingdom, y'all. Not the earthly kingdom. We are in an earthly kingdom right now, but the heavenly kingdom that looks like God. And so each of us needs growth here because what's real easy to do right now is to think about how I could be talking about the other side, not realizing that don't none of us reflect Christ the way that we should. All of us can grow in mercy and in justice. Some of us do justice well without mercy and some of us major on mercy but never demolish systems that prevent the thriving for all justice. And as Christians, we can walk the line of both, y'all. The Bible floods with these stories And I want to traverse through the Old Testament real quick to show you that our God cares about the oppressed and the poor and corrupt systems, etc. And so I'm going to have Kaylin here in a moment read a bunch of verses for us. But what I want us to see, the first two verses talk about the character or the nature or the heart of our God. And we could have chose 60 more verses, y'all. It's all throughout the Old Testament. The next three verses that she's going to read shows us how we should respond to him. And I could have showed a hundred more verses on that as well. God continually shows his character and then calls us to be like him. And so the first two are about God. The next three are how we should respond. So Kaylin, go ahead and read that for us. Hi, well, family. My name is Kaylin. I am one of the CG shepherds at the Weber East Community Group, and I will be reading um, several passages today, starting with Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. 
a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 89, 14. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah 1, 17. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. I mean, come on, y'all. Isn't this beautiful, right? The foundation of God's throne is justice. Open your mouth for those who are oppressed, for those who are poor, for those who have no voice. We serve a God who is into making all things right. That is good news. We should celebrate that. Not just that he has made us right with himself, but that he is into making all things right around him and around us. That he will restore everything that sin has corrupted. This is the beauty and the goodness of our God, like literally read all of the Proverbs. It is loaded with this idea of justice and righteousness, but because we read the Proverbs individualistically, we miss it. But if we begin to read it collectively the way it was meant to be, we realize that God is into making all things right. Old Testament scholar uh, Bruce Walkey puts the teaching of the righteous or the just, is another word to say that, in the book of Proverbs into this concise little practical principle. He says this, He says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Your God is a God who is into making every individual right with God and every system right with God. Your God is a God who is into making individuals like David right with God and into creating systems like the book of Deuteronomy that helps other things fall in line and become right with God. And so you fast forward into the New Testament and you see the exact same thing. You see Jesus carrying this out as well. So I want to zoom into one particular story so we can camp out there. Go ahead and go over to Luke chapter 10 here. And what I want to do is I want to zoom into our Lord's words for a moment. And I want to hopefully kind of pull some application out, not reading this story individualistically, but reading it in light of our horizontal call to others collectively, not me, but we. Okay. And so I'm going to have Anthony read this for us, Luke 10, 25 through 37. Today, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Thanks, brother. Uh, man, so much food here that we need to leave in the kitchen for today. Uh, there's so much good in this passage. But notice several things as Jesus helps us see the heart of God in our call to do justice and mercy. First of all, the good Samaritan, he made the individual's problem his problem. And that's what biblical justice is, to make someone else's suffering your suffering and restore that individual, to speak for those who can't speak, like Proverbs 31 said, to stand up for those who are being oppressed, who have no voice, who can't fully defend themselves, to tear down the oppression of the accuser, Satan, and the way that he has used the world systems to continue in the harming of God's creation. And so whether it's systemic racism or sex trafficking or any of the other systems that prevent human flourishing and seeing the Imago Dei lived out in every human, we should hate them, y'all, because God hates them. And he comes to destroy those things. And you see, Jesus, what he did with this lawyer is he turned what the lawyer assumed was a theological or a vertical issue only into a horizontal issue. The lawyer is like, yo, how do I get into heaven, Jesus? And he's like, hey, you know what it says, fam? Like, be a Christian. Love God, you know? And he's like, oh, yo, I got that. I got that. I'm, I'm good, son. And he's like, oh, oh, straight up? Okay. This is the TMV, by the way. <laughs> the Tory Mayo version. <laughs> uh, and yet, he says, okay, well, if you love God, then I want you to act like him, which means actively and sacrificially loving those around you, rebuilding them because of your love for God and your love for them, you are to love your neighbor. Yeah. See, American justice would be to look at that guy and say he shouldn't have been on that road in the first place, which may actually be true, actually, in that context, okay? And then we replace judgment with the word justice. We begin to judge and go, well, I'm right, he's wrong, and we set ourselves aside. That ain't justice, y'all. That is judgment, and that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us not to do that. Justice is actually to do good for those around us by acting with mercy. Don't miss that, y'all. It's to do good for those around us by acting with mercy. And so look at how he carries out this mercy. He is merciful to this man, and then he makes things right at his own expense. Please don't miss that, y'all. He is merciful to this man, and then he makes things just or right at his own expense even though he had nothing to do with it in the first place. Well, I didn't own any slaves. Okay? Well, I can't help everybody that's around me. Yeah, we know that's why God gave us the church, is what what we see. Well, you make everything a fill-in-the-blank issue. It's political, or it's racial, or it's, hey, I treat women well. And what begins to happen is we sound more like the lawyer trying to make excuses than like the Lord trying to execute rightness. 
We're trying to justify ourselves from not being the hands and feet of Jesus because the issues are too complex for us to understand. No, skip that. Jesus jumps right into the messiness of the complexion and tries to fix it. And he calls us to do the same. You see, Jesus actually becomes like the Samaritan here. You know, the one who brought equality between you and God, even though uh, breaking down all the systems of oppression, even though he had nothing to do with it. His sin or our sin had nothing to do with Christ. And yet he took it on himself. And then he said that we should act like him. And so even though you may have had nothing to do with the issues that you see around you, so what? Act like God and make them yours and carry out justice in mercy, y'all. This is a witness to the world around us. Notice several of the things that the Samaritan did here. I want to zoom in on two particular verses. Look at verse 34 and 35 again. And I want you to notice all of the verbs that are in this verse. He didn't just think the right thing or just have a good heart. He had a good heart, which led to good actions, a.k.a. his faith was turning into works, y'all. As James 1 says, his faith was actually alive in that sense. And so notice some of the things there in verse 34. He went to him, which means he gave him time and energy. He bound up his wounds, which means he probably gave him some of his clothing. He probably tore his own clothes to bind up this man's wounds so he wouldn't bleed to death here. He anoints him with oil and wine, which means he gave him refreshment and provision. That means that he may have been going thirsty so that the man could live, kind of like Christ on the cross for you, as he thirst. He set him on a mule, which means he gave up his comfort. Mm -hmm. He was probably walking the rest of the way, maybe even having to hold this man up on his mule. He brought him to an inn, which means he was giving him money. By the way, that word in there the, the Greek word that's used, pindoshian, is different than the word in, uh, katalima, which is just a way of saying it's probably a better place to stay. There's two words for in, and the one that's used is the more expensive in. So he didn't put this dude in the budget in or the Motel 6 either. He at least went to the Holiday Inn in this one. Right? This guy at least had continental breakfast in this And so he brought him to an end, giving him his money and paying for advance stay. And then he took care of him, it says, giving him himself. He saw something was wrong, went to him, sacrificially cared, called mercy, intentionally restored this man. That's called justice, trying to make things right again. He did justice and acted with mercy. He uh, made something right that he had nothing to do with by the way, once again, just to re-emphasize that point. And then Jesus comes in with the Thor hammer at the end, okay? (laughs) He's like, yeah, you go do this as well, okay? In other words, this is what the heart of God is. Remember, Jews and Samaritans, they actually hated each other. And so God is saying, I want you to act like the person you hate. Wow. Think about the weight of that. Don't miss that. Sometimes, maybe, God is potentially more like those that you think are enemies than he is like you. A lawyer at that time was someone who studied the Old Testament and was deeply familiar with it, as were the priest and the Levite that both walked by, and yet they were off. And so God doesn't just speak justly or understand just things. He does justice. He makes things right. 
You see, some of us have been defending our country more than we defend our scriptures perverting justice. Or some of us, we act woke, but we never move our hands, ignoring the call for us to actually do something. Or some of us find some group, a political group or a social group, and we fully align with them, even though they do not fully align with scripture. And we over support them, perverting the scripture and truth and justice in the process. All of us can grow more into Christ's likeness. In the church, family of God, we have the answer. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit that is able to bring unity. We are able to actually do what none of these other organizations can do, actually bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We have that opportunity, y'all, if we actually live it out. Because look, can we keep it a buck fifty in here? Like, uh, I'm already getting emails. I'm getting Like, look, we are confused with how to carry out mercy and justice because we are not rooted in the gospel of Jesus. And then we don't know how to live that gospel out. You see, only where justice and mercy collide will we get the world that we actually desire, and it merges perfectly in the gospel of Christ. You see, only here is where the puzzle piece of the mystery is aligned. The Samaritan is ultimately nothing more than a representation of a greater Samaritan, Jesus. Don't you love how he associates with the outcast even here in this story? You see, Jesus made our problems his problem when he died on the cross for our sin. And he made his righteousness ours by giving that to us. None of us are consistently like the Samaritan, y'all. We can all grow in this. At times, we're like the priest that passes by those who are in need, proclaiming our own righteousness in the process. Oftentimes, we're like the guy that's left dead on the road, but then Jesus comes in. You see, you have been left dead and robbed by Satan and by this world, and yet Christ comes in and gives himself up for you, pays to heal you, that you might recover and be restored from being more than half dead. You were fully dead before Christ. And then you may act with the same sort of restorative justice and mercy towards others. The reason we have such a hard time seeing justice and mercy simultaneously is because we're looking at lesser pictures of it. Nothing on the earth that you looked at will be a great representation of justice and mercy like the scriptures and the kingdom of God that is to come will. Once we look to the suffering but the resurrected Messiah, that's when we see justice and mercy most clearly. That's when we begin to have the answers for the worlds around us. The cross of Jesus is the very picture of justice and mercy, and only from here can we get a picture of how we are supposed to carry that out. You see, Christ came forgiving people that you would never forgive. And Christ came hanging out with people that you would never kick it with, y'all. And literally, he was breaking down systems that some of y'all would never touch. As he broke down the religious systems around them that prevented the flourishing of the Gentiles. And he was honoring people that you think are fools that you would never honor. Christ was all making all things right, y'all. Christ was making all things right taking it on himself and extending that mercy to others. And then he calls us to do the same. And so now we can make things right because our God has made things right in our souls. So now we can actually extend that into the souls and onto the earth around us. We can give mercy because he has given us unbelievable grace on top of grace. We can do justice because you deserve to be judged. And yet he made you justified or right with Christ 
Christ. Now we can level out the playing field for people around us. Only in Christ do these two opposite worlds collide to form this beautiful mosaic of the story of God that is being written in the world around us. We need to see Jesus clearly. And so let us be a people that is like this. You see, too many people, too many of us, even as believers, are sitting here battling each other, not realizing that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but of the enemies of the spiritual forces that are around us. Don't get it twisted. The the enemy can use systems and uh, uh, people to actually pervert the kingdom of God, but it ain't the people that we're fighting. It is the evil world, and we are called to bring kingdom likeness into the world. We should be a people because we love Jesus that looks differently, y'all. If you look like the Republican Party, I don't know if you look like the kingdom of God. If you look like the Democratic Party, I don't know if you look like the kingdom of God because both of them aren't fully representing the kingdom. We are a people that look differently and smell differently, but as we live that out, it begins to become beautiful to the world around us. And so one practical thing for us as a church, and then in each of the weeks following, we'll get to individual issues and how we kind of tackle these uh, issues individually. But we want to be a people who push back darkness in the city, and we want to see people come to faith. Listen, y'all, that's the biggest way that we actually do this, because as you, your heart is shaped by the gospel, and you slowly but surely conform into Christ's likeness, you start to live out the kingdom, and you start to bring the kingdom around you. So we want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. As you know Jesus, you gain a heart for these very things, y'all, because you begin to see the heart of Christ and you can then enact the heart of Christ. You can bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Without Christ, we ain't bringing the kingdom. We're bringing an earthly kingdom and all those things will shatter and be destroyed one day. We need the kingdom of God. But even without people coming into the kingdom, we see what the city could be. And so we want to serve and be the very hands of Christ to make things better around us. And so one of the things really practically that we can even do as a church is we want you to get involved in community groups. You might say, what is that? That's some like weird church page. No, it ain't, okay? Because in each community group, we have what we call a missions liaison. Now, those liaisons are responsible for two things. One of them is connecting us to who we're sending overseas and praying for them and blessing them. But the other thing is actually to help us serve here in the city. And so each community group will be responsible for picking a different area or topic or social issue or people group or even uh, organization that they want to serve in the city. And as community groups, we will bless and serve the city together. And so if we have 30 different community groups, we might have 30 different people serving 30 different places in the city, slowly but surely pushing back darkness and establishing the kingdom. And so somebody might serve a pregnancy resource center, while as somebody else might go into the Travis County Jail and share the gospel there, whereas somebody else might take care of foster moms and and help them begin to uh, build up and and to literally raise up the next generation and to uh, establish the gospel in them. And on and on and on and on it goes. Every community group will look a little bit different. 
I want to encourage you to be involved in them. And if you're passionate about this, then be involved and then go help somewhere. Stop waiting on somebody else to bring justice. You do justice. That's what scripture calls us to do. And so ultimately, whether it's through community groups or individuals, we are ambassadors, y'all. We are kingdom representatives. We aim to make wrong things right. That's what Jesus did. That's what we are to do. And listen, friends, it starts spiritually. And once we have a change your heart though we will have a change of hands and once our heart begins to change it will lead to different actions and so let us push back darkness family of God let us be a people that is serious about bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven let us do that as a church family listen if you uh, look at the world around you and if you do not think that it looks like heaven then do something about it Begin to bring heaven onto earth. Be like God. Love justice and love mercy. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Christ. That you are the God who loves justice and mercy. That from Genesis, as you called Abraham, you wanted him to do justice, to make things right. And that as we go throughout the Old Testament, we see you trying to make these wrong things right. And as humanity tries to unravel what you are doing, you work despite humanity and even through humanity that is actually unraveling it. You are working through us to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give those of us who major on justice a heart of compassion and mercy? Would we be quiet sometimes and listen? Would we actually stand up for those who are hurting? Would we mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and not make excuses that that's not our spiritual gift? You commanded us to do this. And God, for those of us who love mercy yet never move our hands or never speak truth in the situations or never lift up our voice for the oppressed, would you call us to do that, God? Would you call us to to give voice and to correct systems and to be people of justice? Would you call us to do both and that we would be a people that look like you and that bring what you want to see on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus, I pray for anybody listening that does not know you, that they would see that's the greatest injustice, that they are out of a line with what you would have for their souls for all of eternity, and that by believing in you, they would be made right because you do justice and you are extending mercy even now. And so, friend, I want you to hear and to receive the mercy of God. You can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And God, for all of us who have chosen to enter into this covenant relationship with you, would we be your covenant people just like Israel was that performed justice? Let us not skip through Exodus 21 through 36 where it's all these laws about how to act justly. Let us see them and try to implement them even today to do justice and to act mercifully. God, I pray over the rest of the series, you would show us how to do that in these individual issues and give us a heart like yours, Christ. We pray this in your precious and your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.